Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. Uh, we are continuing our look at the book of Matthew. We are we yesterday we saw the Magi come to worship Jesus. And then they, in a dream, were warned not to go back to Herod, as they had promised they would do, and so they went back home a different way. And then we see Joseph, the father of Jesus, the earthly father, um, getting a word in a dream that Herod was going to try and destroy his son and to flee and go to Egypt until Herod's death. So he did. So Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Quote, a voice was heard in Ramah, which is Bethlehem in that region, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And so Rachel is the wife of Jacob, the one that he coveted more than any other. Leah was substituted in her place, and then Rachel becomes the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. And so here we see the the destruction of the children of Rachel, these these small children that were killed in that region who were two years old or under, because Herod felt so threatened by the possibility that a king of the Jews had been born, which means that he would have been replaced. So we want to spend a little bit of time today looking at who is this Herod, where did he come from, why was he so threatened, and was this within his character, frankly? It's as simple as that. So it helps to know a little bit of the background of Judaism and and their relationship with Rome. So we get all the, the revolt of the Maccabees and then the Hasmonean dynasty that comes forth from that. And so these guys become the, the kings over Israel. Now they're vassal kings because they're under the authority of greater powers since the time of Alexander the Great, which goes back to the early part of the 4th century B.C., so we get these Hasmonean kings who rule, and they're ruling at the time of Herod in <clears throat> around 110 BCE, so 100-plus uh, years prior to the birth of Jesus. The Hasmonean king, John Hyrcanus, conquered a region called Idumea, and those Idumeans were, were descendants of Edom. They were Edomites. And so that's who they are, and they, they then forcibly converted those conquered people to Judaism. And then they were brought into the Jewish nation. That's where Herod's from. He is an Edomite, Edomite which would have been the northern kingdom, and he is also, though, a foreigner who's brought into Judaism. His family would have been conquered people forced to convert into Judaism. And because of that, there was always questions around Herod as far as the Jews were concerned as to whether or not he was actually 
committed to Judaism, I guess is the best way to say that. So it, it's, an, it's an interesting journey for him to get there. His father was a high-ranking official, and he was a high-ranking official largely because of his friendship with Julius Caesar. So he, was, he had these good relations with Caesar, which meant that at least until the death of Caesar, he was safe and lifted up. And so Herod, even as a young man, in his mid-20s, in 47 BCE, or BC, BCE is the more academic way of referring to before Christ, they've just reinterpreted it to, to um, before the Common Era. And then they refer to what we refer to as AD as the Common Era. <clears throat> and so what you get here is Herod, about 40-something years before the birth of Jesus, when he's in his early 20s, becomes a, the governor over Galilee, the region where Jesus will be. And then along the way, he, he took care of taxes. He did some good work in ridding the region of, ba- of bandits and things like that. His brother was, was also a governor, and he was a governor in Jerusalem. So, so they had pretty much all of Judea and Galilee taken care of within this one family. So what Herod when it went ahead and did, he cons- consolidated power by consolidating his, his um, influence through neighboring governors. The, the Sanhedrin never liked Herod because they thought that he was, because of his brutal- brutality towards them, he also built a palace, also did you know, public works things to appease the Jews. He, he, he was in some ways good at what he did as an administrator and one who built up that part of the kingdom and made it something other than a backwater of the Roman Empire. He had determined to punish Hyrcanus, the, the son of the man who conquered his people, and and he Herod had been summoned to trial by Hyrcanus, who was was a client king. He I mean he he had the title of king, but he was under the emperor. Herod he he wanted to bring Herod up on charges of murder, but Herod wasn't allowed to to go do that. But and also his father and his elder bro- brother, the one who's in Jerusalem, they kind of kept him from punishing Hyrcanus. But then, about five or six years later, Mark Anthony is the head in Rome, and he names Herod and his brother Tetrarchs. So they have larger authority. They become more like kings. And and then Hyrcanus, the one he wanted to punish, is overthrown by his own nephew. Herod then goes to have Hyrcanus restored to power because he, he was afraid of this guy. So he goes to Rome to get Hyrcanus, the guy who had previously been his enemy, restored to power. But but what happened there? And the Romans cared because in 63 they had overtaken and become the power there with Pompey the Great, conquered Jerusalem at that point. So what happened, amazingly, while he was in Rome trying to get Hyrcanus restored, Rome, Rome said, no, you're the king of the Jews now. And, and it was an attempt probably 
to appease the Jews in some way or another. And one of the ways they were trying to appease him was, well, if we throw out Hyrcanus, who is from the Hismonian dynasty, who are Jews, we probably, in order to, to avoid revolt, ought to get one of them. And so Herod, as far as Rome was concerned, was one of them, even though there's very little evidence that he practiced Judaism very much, but Herod was a, a crafty man. You know, Jesus refers to him as that fox. This is the way, actually, he wasn't referring to Herod that way. That was Herod's son that he referred to that way. Herod was a crafty man, and he knew this might not go the, the best way. What, what he had done is he had married the granddaughter of Hyrcanus, Mary Amni, and she, she was his wife in order to secure a claim to the throne and gain some Jewish favor. So, so, so the Romans thought of him as Jewish, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll give him a sop. We'll put this guy down there. He seems to be kind of betwixt and between, but he's kind of one of them, at least as far as we're concerned. So we'll put him in charge there. But Herod knew that he wasn't really going to be accepted as one of them. He knew that. So, so he marries Mary Amney who was, as I said, the granddaughter of Hyrcanus, the man who had previously been king of the Jews. He did that because he knew, well, that'll make it easier for the medicine to go down, that I'm now the king. There's a problem, though. <laughs> but it wasn't a problem for Herod because his ambition was all that actually mattered. Right? He wanted to be king. That's, that's a promotion. He's gone from governor to tetrarch which is ruler over a bigger area, to now king of the Jews. But in order to solidify that, he marries Mary Amni in order that maybe the Jews will be appeased because he's at least married to somebody from the Hasmonean dynasty. But the problem is he already had a wife and a child. So what he decided to do was banish them because all that mattered was his ambition. He wanted to be king no matter what the cost to other people might be. He wanted to be king. So he became king. And then they, they continued, and they, they went out in 37 B.C. and captured Jerusalem with Mark at the behest of Mark Antony. He took his friend, who was the governor in Syria, and they overcame Jerusalem. And, and then they rebuilt Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple the temple that that stood at the time of Jesus was was Herod's temple he had had it built it was a public work that that was done to bless the jews <clears throat> so it, it's it's herod ruled for 37 years 34 of those years after he captured jerusalem and so so he died not not terribly long after this dream that came to Joseph, but but he was threatened by this, and he wanted to make it a family sinecure. He wanted to make sure that his children ended up ruling after him. But he had to pick and choose which ones he wanted to serve and rule after him and carry on his legacy. And so along the way, other people were disposable as well. The son by his first wife, whose name was Doris, believe it or not, uh, not the son, the son's name was Antipater. 
So Doris was his first wife. The Antipater ends up becoming one of the rulers. What what whither Mariamne, the daughter of Hyrcanus the second, the the thing that gave him a connection to the Hasmonean dynasty of the Jews. Well, he had to execute her ultimately too because she threatened him as well, along with some of his own children, and so would Herod's children have been, I mean, would Herod's character have been such that he would have done such something like the slaughter and the murder of the innocents? And the answer seems to be yes, although scholars say, well, there's no record of that. Well, remember one really important thing, and that is that history is written by the victors. And the Romans were clearly the victors and clearly wrote the history. But Matthew includes this slaughter of the innocents in the gospel. Is Matthew wrong? Did Matthew make this up? It seems highly unlikely because, again, this is written within living memory of people who could have disputed that this happened. Matthew seems to be particularly fearless and seems not to care very much about certain sorts of things. We believe, for instance, John's gospel is the only one to include the story about the raising of Lazarus from the dead because Lazarus had passed away. By the time John wrote his gospel, while when the others were written, he was still alive. And the reason for that was because they wanted to kill Lazarus too. They wanted to destroy the evidence of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So the, the gospel writers avoided that out of deference to Lazarus. With this story about Herod, he's gone by the time Matthew writes, and it's possible the temple is gone as well, but we don't know that. Um, actually, I, I would defer and move in the direction of, no, it had not been destroyed yet because of, of when it should have been written, because of where it was probably written, was to Antioch, the first place outside the land where there, were, there was a church and a mission. So I, I think Matthew is fearless, honestly. I think he's willing to tell this story in a way Roman historians wouldn't because it wouldn't reflect well on Rome to tell that story. Matthew's not concerned about that. He's concerned about the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, and that prophecy in this particular case has to do with the weeping of Rachel over the over her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. In the same way, Egyptian history doesn't record the murder of the Hebrew children. So I believe that is this consistent with what we know of Herod's character? And the answer would absolutely be yes. We know that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, considered him to be particularly brutal. We know that he had others killed who were close to him. So it seems highly likely to me that this would have happened exactly the way Matthew describes it. I have no particular reason to doubt it because there were not disputes about this at the time that it was written. As I said, I'm not persuaded 
to doubt it simply because Roman historians don't include it in their history. So this Herod was insecure and threatened all the time. So when he hears that a, that a king of the Jews has been born, even though he's going to be in his late 60s at this point, his children, in his mind, will carry on his legacy. And so he can't allow this one, this king of the Jews, who is truly Jewish, to be born. But it also explains why. At the time of Palm Sunday, the Pharisees are particularly concerned when the parade comes into Jerusalem that Jesus is being hailed as the son of David, the one who will be the king of the Jews. And that's a threat to the Roman authority, embodied by Pilate in Jerusalem, but the governor was Herod, his son. So I believe this story is true, true, and it fits with everything we know about Herod. And it does also fulfill the prophecy through Jeremiah concerning Rachel. So I believe this to be true tomorrow. We'll look at the return of the family to Bethlehem.